Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. If we didn't know better, if we weren't told in the passage, because this guy has power and authority and he sends the Jews and then he sends his friends, we could easily assume he thinks he's too good to go to Jesus personally. He thinks he's too good when the exact opposite is true. So we need to be very careful not to judge because our judging is always superficial. In today's broadcast, we begin a new two-part study that Pastor Sam has entitled, The Power of the Lord. We're now in Luke chapter 7, and we will be looking at the first 17 verses of this chapter. Our text will take us through Jesus healing the centurion's servant and raising the widow from Nain's son from the dead. So let's listen in. Luke 7, 1 through 17, the power of the Lord. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with them to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Last time, near the end of our study, we looked at life's most important question. And the question really was, what do men say or who do men say I am? And then ultimately, who do you say I am? Here's why that question from Jesus is so important for every one of us. What we believe about Jesus will ultimately determine what we do with Jesus, how we relate to him. In other words, if we believe he's a great teacher, well, we'll want to learn from him. If we believe he's a great healer, we may go to him for healing and help. But if we believe he is Savior and Lord, well, then we're going to be saying, Lord, save me. We move, though, from Jesus asking, who do men say I am or who do you say I am to, well, what men say of one another. And, and in this particular passage, in these first 17 verses, we're going to gain some insight, well, from the perspective of Dr. Luke. He's been researching. He finds out some stuff about the centurion, and he has some rather amazing things to say about him. We also have a group of Jewish elders ordinarily wouldn't be hanging out with a Roman soldier, especially a commanding officer, but they have some great things to say about him as well. We'll see what the centurion has to say about himself and what he believes about Jesus. And then finally, we'll get to see what Jesus has to say about this Roman soldier. Well, Luke's testimony, he simply describes this guy as an unnamed centurion, but he describes a centurion who has love for one of his servants. Now that's kind of unusual, by the way, in that day. Because, well, servants in the first century were considered mere property. And here's someone who has all sorts of power. They have all sorts of authority. If you read the history or you watch the movies, they're ordinarily portrayed, these centurions, as kind of brutal and, and uneducated and indifferent. But apparently that's not the case with this guy, nor many of the centurions. It's just a reminder that we look at the outside or we make judgments based on the uniform or the attitude and, and God sees something entirely different. 
This guy actually loves his servant. It says he's dear to him. The words mean honored, esteemed, and precious. Now, a centurion, by the way, if you're unfamiliar, he was someone who was responsible for and ruled over 100 men. It's sort of built into the word centurion. We get our word century, of course, you know, 100 years. So a centurion rules over 100 men. Well, the testimony then of Luke is he's got the centurion. The centurion has a servant. The servant's ready to die. And he sends elders of the Jews. And they come pleading with Jesus on his behalf. And this is even a little interesting. They don't say the sick man or the dying servant, you know, needs your help. They're saying this centurion, he needs your help. And, and, and he's deserving of it. Why? He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So he is highly regarded and spoken of in the light of how he relates to people. He cares for his servants. He cares for those that most see the Romans as oppressing at that time, even to going to the place uh, at his own expense, no doubt, providing a place of worship for them. Well, we come next into what he thinks of himself and what Jesus ultimately will say of him. Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, verse 6, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. Now, as he sends this second group of ambassadors, first the religious leaders, now he's sending personal friends and he addresses Jesus as Lord. Now, some would make nothing of that. They say, well, they called people master and Lord. It's just a term of respect and, and honor, which is perhaps the case. But it's possible that he was putting together that the one who could cast out demons with a word, the, the one who could heal with a word, the one who could, well, as we'll see in, in our latter part of this study, raise the dead with the word. Maybe this guy was processing as we have that Jesus is a little beyond your normal religious leader. Well, well beyond that. In any case, he calls him Lord. It may indicate a deeper understanding of who he's dealing with. Then he demonstrates his humility and it's real humility because he says, first, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. By the way, not only did he see himself as unworthy, but he understood Jewish law enough to know if Jesus entered in, well, that would have been a defiling experience for Jesus. Jews and Gentiles didn't really rub elbows in the first century. They never ate together. They never hung together. And to go into a Gentile's house, well, it would be a defiling experience for any Jew except Jesus. Why? Because nothing defiled him. He wasn't tempted, uh, to, you know, to sin. I mean, there was temptation on the outside, tempted in all ways, we read. But there was nothing within him, he says. The enemy has nothing in me, nothing that said, yeah, I want that or I want to do that. So while he could be tempted as we are from the outside, there was nothing inside to connect with that particular temptation. Well, he says, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. And I did not think myself worthy to come 
to you. Now, this is true humility, and, and uh, as opposed to, well, what's the other option? False humility, you know, the kind that some of us, oh, I'm not really much, or I don't really do this, or I can't do that, and had an experience on Friday night. I got to teach your kids, those of you who have high schoolers, and uh, I got to tell you, they are an amazing, amazing group of kids. Now, you're raising them, so you might have a different opinion about them. But I did start by saying, you guys are awesome. You're amazing. You're, you're just great. And I got to tell you, as I went through and there were a big group of them, as I walked down the line and kind of looked them in the eye and told them they were great and awesome, there were a few of them that kind of thought, well, finally somebody recognizes, you know. And you, of course, know which kids I'm talking about because you're raising them. But the majority of those kids don't think that they're awesome, don't think that they're great, don't think that they're amazing. No, they're all insecure about who they are and what they might be able to accomplish. And why would I even start by telling them they're great? Because God thinks they're great, because God thinks they're awesome, enough to send his son to die for them, to, to give them life eternal, to give them the opportunity to serve him be transformed by him. And I love this worship team today for so many reasons. You know, you could add up the ages of three of the four and they still aren't as old as me. And uh, I had to take Jamie out of the mix because, you know, he's like getting up there. But, uh, but to see these kids serving the Lord and leading us in worship, and, and it was beautiful worship, heartfelt worship, the real thing. It's a reminder what my buddy uh, there in... Uh, and Hawaii tells us that, that the kids, Danny Lehman, it takes me a while sometimes, you know, you got to flip through the files. They're not just there like they used to be, but uh, that kids aren't the church of tomorrow. Kids are the church today. Born again of the spirit, used by the Lord. And, and so the point is this. Our kids, they're humble and insecure and, and we want to deal with the insecurity. So they're, they'll know as we should know that there's nothing God can't do through and in and, and with us. But, but humility needs to stay because it's without him, I can do nothing. And so here's a guy who is modeling all that. He shows great honor and respect to the Lord, whether he really had processed who he's dealing with or not. He demonstrates his humility saying, I don't think I'm worthy for you to come under my roof. I didn't even feel worthy to come to you. But there is something else here. It's a reminder to me not to do something that comes so natural. And that's just to look at a circumstance or a situation or a couple people and to think I can figure out what's going on inside of them, what's motivating or driving them. And what the Lord has shown me is that that if I do that and, and I've shared that I've done it because I know it happens to many, if not most of you, especially with those people you know well. You're like, oh, I know you think they're okay, but I really know them. And I got to tell you, that's not what motivates them. But, but here's the deal. If we didn't know better, if we weren't told in the passage, because this guy has power and authority and he sends the Jews and then he sends his friends, we could easily assume he thinks he's too good to go to Jesus personally. He thinks he's too good when the exact opposite is true. So we need to be very careful not to judge because our judging is always superficial where God can look on the heart. Well, he goes on in the latter part of verse seven. 
to declare something that Jesus hadn't heard from anyone else up to this point, And Jesus will say so. He says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. He testifies, first of all, of his faith in Jesus' ability to heal and to heal with a word. And he says he's basing this on his understanding of how authority actually works. He gives us the first principle of authority. It's there in verse eight. Those who exercise authority must themselves first be under authority. And that's what he claims. He says, I am also a man placed under authority. The second principle of authority, those who are under authority must submit to and obey that authority. And so he sees Jesus as having power and authority over all creation. He knows that Jesus can deal with disease and he can deal with it with a word because even as he commands and those under him obey, Jesus commands those under him are going to obey as well. Well, Jesus actually dealt with this issue and we considered it last time, but just to bring it to your remembrance, he said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things which I say? He's just saying, listen, if you're going to call me Lord, then you have to submit to my authority. You have to obey my commands. Well, what Jesus goes on then to, to say in the midst of this, well, when Jesus heard these things, we read, he marveled, verse 9, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Now we only read of Jesus marveling twice in the scriptures. The first was back in his hometown of, of Nazareth where he marveled because of their unbelief. In spite of knowing him and hearing what he was doing elsewhere, these guys couldn't put together what God was doing in their midst. They couldn't get past the fact that they knew this guy, that he grew up there, that, that he played in the streets and studied with their kids. And, and now, well, he, he says he marveled because of their unbelief. Here he marvels because this guy demonstrates a faith that, well, he hadn't seen even in Israel. And these, by the way, they are the children of faith. They are the descendants of Abraham, the father of the faith. They are the ones that are supposed to be walking by faith and not by sight. And he says, I've not seen this kind of faith, not even in Israel. Now track with me on this for a second. We looked a little while back at the story of a paralytic man and his friends had faith that if they could get that guy to Jesus, he'd be healed. And they went to great lengths. They demonstrated their faith in a very practical way. They went up on the roof. They tore the roof off the house. They let the guy down into the midst where he received not just healing, but forgiveness. Jesus dealing with this temporal and his spiritual eternal need. But their faith said, if we can get him to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. Then there are many that we'll see as we go through the Gospels that they're like, if I could just get next to him and touch him, or if I can even touch that which touches him, the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. So 
the, the guys who, who believe you got to get the guy to Jesus, well, they do just that. And, and what happens? He's healed. But the one who says, if I can just touch him or if I can just touch the hem of his garden, garment, they come to Jesus and, and they do that. And what happens? They're healed. This guy says, I'm not worthy to you would come under my roof. I'm not worthy that I would even come to you personally, but you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Here's the amazing thing. Though their faith was different, it worked in every case. And here's why. It's not the magnitude of our faith. It's, it's not how great our faith is. It's how great the one is in whom we place our faith. It's Jesus, you see. Now he does say, he marvels and he says, I've not found such great faith. I believe when we exercise great faith in him, that brings great joy to him. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So a lot of faith in him, I would think that would be a lot of joy to him. But don't miss this. It isn't like we can pattern him or figure it out. It's not like, well, if we can get people to him and we should, or if we can get and touch him and we should, or if we can just get him to speak the word and we should petition him for that. The point is all of these worked because they were all directed at the one who is faithful. And it's not how much faith, it's just where that faith is placed. And so uh, if you're one of those people or you have friends who say, man, you just really need to grow in your faith. I want to tell you, you're doing that right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we read these stories together and we recognize that he's the same yesterday, today and forever, that he hasn't changed at all. What he did then he can do now. Our faith will grow. Our confidence in him will grow. Our, our willingness to come to him and put it all on the line and trust in him will in fact grow. Well, here's the deal. What we believe about Jesus will determine how we behave toward Jesus. So if we believe we got to get people to him, we will. And if we believe we need to connect with him, we will. And if we believe he can simply say the word, then we'll say, Lord, say the word and he will. Well, it brings us to a second snapshot, a second picture. And that is just from verses 11 through 17. And we're going to see that Jesus is able with a word to do more than cast out a demon or, or to uh, heal the sick. Jesus can raise the dead with just the words from his mouth. It happened the day after he went into a city called Nain. Luke sets the scene for us. Many of his disciples with him. There's a large crowd. So they've traveled from Capernaum, his base. They've traveled down toward Nazareth, but they've taken a detour over to Nain, a relatively small city. As they enter into the city, they have this large crowd. You got a picture. These guys are celebrating. They're happy. They're listening to Jesus. They're rejoicing and walking with him. And they meet another large crowd. And this crowd, we're told, was being led by a woman who had just lost her only son. As he came near the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So you have the two crowds and they're meeting, one celebrating, one suffering. Hey, as we come together today, though we just kind of sit wherever we can get a seat, that same reality presents itself. There are some here who are just celebrating when the worship started, man, your hearts overflowed and you were just in the presence of God and grateful to him. 
There are some that are suffering and, and sorrowing and, well, experiencing great loss. And, and, well, that's what happens in the scene. That's what happens every time we gather together. You know, every holiday as you get older is bittersweet because when you're a kid, it's just like, oh, Christmas again. But when you're older, it's Christmas without mom or without dad or, or, or without your brother or sister or sometimes even your child. That's, that's the reality. And so here she is. She's a widow. She's lost her only son. That is a desperate desperate situation for, for a, a woman in the first century. And in that culture, if she didn't have other family members to care for and look out for her, she could end up completely destitute. Well, the large crowd is with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Literally, he was moved with compassion. And that's what happens when our Lord sees the suffering and the sorrowing. When you follow him through the Gospels, you'll notice every time he goes into a situation or scene, his eye goes to the one who is most needy. And it's important to know while he wants to meet with and bless all of us today, the more hurting you are, the more available he is, the more, well, he's right there, moved with compassion, wanting to connect, wanting to minister. Well, he has compassion on her. And then he says, do not weep. Now, I don't mean to make light of a serious situation, but I try to put myself in these situations and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm with the widow and some stranger comes up, though he seems so kind and genuine, and he just says, just stop crying. And then he touches the casket Man, that is going to cause these guys to just say, whoa, that is very strange. Why? Again, to touch a dead body or anything touching a dead body would defile you. They can see that this crowd is Jewish. They're Jewish themselves. And so this is like, okay, here's this stranger. He's saying not to cry. He's doing that. None of us would do. Well, those who were carrying the body, they were willingly serving and and uh, they would go and offer sacrifice to deal with all of this. But the Lord saw her, had compassion on her, said, do not weep. He touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And then he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, the centurion believed if Jesus said the word that, that his servant would be healed. And get this, because some people kind of grab hold of something like that and, and, and they're like, well, well, here's how it works. It was the centurion's great faith and Jesus testified of his great faith and I have no problem with that. I acknowledge it. I see it. I want to be like that. But let me ask you a question. Whose faith is operating here? You think this widow expected Jesus to talk to her dead son and the son to get up? Do you think anybody in the crowd, even those following Jesus, were expecting something like this to happen? No, the reality is, as he speaks to the dead man and says, I say to you, arise. Man, those people are just thinking, who is this guy and what's he trying to do? Verse 15 tells us, he who was dead sat up and began to speak. My point is this. While God is blessed by our faith and our faith grows as we're in his word and obedient to his word, while great faith is a great honor to and blessing to him, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. 
that's the declaration of scripture. He cannot deny himself. He sees a need, his heart goes out to the person in need. He's not like, man, if you only had some faith, I could have helped you. Or if only they had some faith, I would have helped you. No, he always helps. Why? Because he's moved with compassion, because he cares. And if we have this example of the centurion who cares, how much more does Jesus care? In today's study, Pastor Sam noted that what we believe about Jesus will ultimately determine what we do with him and how we relate to him. Sam said that if we believe Jesus to be a great teacher, we would want to learn from him. If we believe him to be a great healer, we would go to him for healing and so on. Well, I would like to add another. 1 John 4.16 tells us, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. If you ever find yourself struggling with loving people, or even loving Jesus with the type of love that is described in Scripture, take your request to Him. Ask Him to show you how to love. Ask Him to fill you with His love. This is not a request that He will deny. It is His desire that we love others the way He does, and it is His will. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.